Have you said it so it's playing through, so you can hear yourself? No, but I can't because of my um, my headphones have got a, a lapel microphone on. And it's your only pair of headphones. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get you some decent gear. Okay, who's starting it this time? <clears throat> I started last time. Are we taking turns? Yeah. Welcome to episode four of the Creative Coding Podcast with me, Seb Lee Dalal, coming live from a Heathrow Airport hotel room. Uh, and me, Ian, coming from Cornwall, Heathrow Cornwall, a beautiful city, the cleanest city in Europe, apparently. And, and this is probably the most polluted. So how are you doing, Ian? I'm good, man. I'm really good. What have you been doing? Or we come to that at the end? Yeah, we can come to that at the end, can't we? You can say what you've been doing. Um, I've just been at FITC Amsterdam, which was pretty good fun. And now I've flown back to London, and I thought it was kind of pointless flying back, uh, getting the train back to Brighton. So I'm staying in Heathrow for tomorrow. I'm flying to Texas for South by Southwest. Awesome. Geek spring break, as they say. So you come straight from Flash on the Can and then to South by Southwest? I don't, I don't think they call it Flash in the Can anymore. Oh, do they not call it anymore? No, 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 no. FITC. I'd just like to remind conference organisers that uh, other creative coding hosts are available. <laughs> <laughs> in case they're listening. <laughs> So what did we miss last week? We didn't have so many comments, did we, this time? No, we didn't have anything useful. Sorry to the people who did comment. Yes, well, we're on the iTunes store, right? That's pretty cool. We got some ratings. We didn't announce any of this. Yeah, we're on the iTunes and we've we got some people have rated it and uh, no one's left any comments I've read yet. But because of that, we got onto the new and notable section on iTunes. Yay. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, that's awesome. So That's really cool. Yeah, it would mean a lot to us if you would go to iTunes, give us five stars and write a nice review. That would be amazing. Thank you. Don't, thanks. Some people have given it some people have gone and given it four stars. And it's like, oh, thanks guys. We, well, you know, four is still good. Ta- but Yeah, but it's like you've taken the effort to go there and it's like as much as I like Ian and Seb and everything and you know, they're doing this podcast and everything, I'm not gonna give them five stars. They they haven't earned that yet. They need to work their no, way out. They, they've still got that one extra star to earn. What can we do? Tell us. Tell us how to get that last star. <laughs> yeah, write in the comments, what can we do? We'll do it. I think we need you want. more building noise based on Oh yeah, that was very popular last week, wasn't yeah, it? It was. Cool, man. So we missed kind of an, a very important scoop, didn't we? The yeah. kind of morning we released the episode. Uh-huh. Uh was the morning of the Flash Gaming Summit, where not only did Adobe announce that Molehill had been kind of released in a kind of public preview form. Which we pretended to know about already. Yeah, what we couldn't pretend to know about is uh, that Unity announced that they were going to add support for Flash so that you can publish to Flash. Which is, I think, really, really exciting and actually a complete surprise. I mean, I've always been secretly hoping that Unity would publish to um, Molehill and WebGL, um, but I actually had no kind of concept about how easy or difficult that would be. But it seems like there's something they're seriously working on, so I think that's really exciting. I mean, I said about six months ago or a year ago when they first announced Molehill, people said, oh, yeah, this could, they could do this. I said, no, that'll never happen. And the reason I said that is that there's kind of bits of third-party technology inside Unity, like uh, physics and, like, beast lighting or something, and various other bits of kind of proprietary kind of C++-based technology that you would need to port to ActionScript, I guess, because they'd need to be packaged as part of your Swift in order for it to work. So yeah. how they do that is... 
a very big question, I think. Well, I met Tom Higgins, who's the Unity Evangelist, very briefly at FITC, who was like, you know, he's got a crazy schedule, he's flying everywhere. So I didn't get a chance to talk to them. But yeah, I think that's really going to be the... I've heard talk about... um, about from other people saying yeah they're going to be interested to see how much of unity they can port but it's going to have to be like some you know all the 3d rendering and the physics and the you know the stuff that everyone uses yeah i mean you'll want the lighting and the physics otherwise what's the point right yeah but whether it's got like the very latest like beast light maps and stuff i'm not sure i mean but then i guess in theory you could you could compile some of that stuff as um as alchemy right yeah, I don't really know much about alchemy, to be honest. That sounds like something you could do, but al- alchemy is not kind of as straightforward as it seems, is it? No, there's uh, expense with, you know, and I, I haven't really used alchemy very much, but uh, apparently the, the main cost in alchemy is getting data to and from, you know, from the C compiled code into the, the action script compiled code. Yes, it's time for Ignorance Corner again on the Creative Coding Podcast. I think someone's done a port of... Again, this is just a half-remembered thing. I think someone's ported bullet physics already to ActionScript because I think it really? is in one of the demos that are kicking about for Molehill. Yeah. Like the car the car demo, uh, the Max Racer has some quite decent physics, doesn't it? I can't control the thing, to be honest. I tried playing it. I'm rubbish at it. But I suppose the car sort of moves in a sort of car-like way. In terms of gameplay, it isn't that well-tuned? No. It is a tech demo, essentially, though, isn't it? So Yeah, yeah fair enough didn't work very well on my macbook air i have to say no yeah i bet <laughs> i bet they loved you for saying that on twitter yeah no that there was some rather strange um, reaction from a certain unnamed adobe evangelist <laughs> to my question about whether molehill was faster on macs than pcs so i don't know perhaps it's something they're a bit sensitive about one thing i've been looking into is uh kind of how fast 2d rendering is yeah so my friend matt has been over at hugo and cat agency um where he's been developing um, a port of Bunny Mark for Molehill. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And it's pretty fast, and he's managed to kind of get in um, alpha transparency, rotation, and scaling, which were things that all kind of weren't part of the original Bunny Mark, but they kind of churned it when you did kind of drop them in. Yeah. Um, so, so that's good. But it's not, it's not as much faster as I thought it would be, basically. I think you can get up to, up to something like 12,000 bunnies really? at 30 frames a second, yeah, which is good. It's twice as fast as splitting and four times as fast as display list, basically. Sure. But... Hmm. I would expect to be able to render more triangles than that on the GPU. Yeah, that's bunny. So each bunny is two triangles. Yeah, sure. And but still... It's not magic, basically. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, and performance was different on different ones. Like, he was getting better performance on his Mac than I was on my PC as well, which is quite interesting. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, it's still not magic, is it? It's not, like... I mean, people say, like, oh, I'm rendering a scene that's got, like, however many, like, 100,000 triangles. But you're not seeing all the triangles at once. Like, some of them are, are going to be culled and things like that. Right, sure. But then, you know, maybe, that, maybe the bunnies demo wasn't that optimised yet, where you're, where you're probably still drawing bunnies that are behind other bunnies and stuff. I mean, I certainly thought that with GPU-rendered stuff that you could look at triangles you know, in numbers with at least a couple of extra zeros on it. But <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm confusing OpenGL with OpenGLES, which is what Molehill is based on. Yeah, but I mean, and it's it's DirectX on Windows. Yeah, so I mean, that should be like super fast, shouldn't it? Yeah. I don't think this is very interesting because we don't really know what we're talking about. <laughs> we don't. We don't really do. I saw a demo today of a 2D library that someone's just released today. I know there are other ones, but... um. He only had something like 1,200 sprites before it slowed down, 
And I could get that many. Yeah, I could get that many with blitting. Well, I think there's definitely some weirdness there, right? Because you know you'd expect it to be in the thousands and thousands, surely. Yeah, you really would. But what it goes to show is that molehill is not straightforward to no. use at all, basically. And if you don't know what you're doing, it's not going to be any faster, really. It's going to be slower. Yeah, you could be right there. Um, in fact, maybe this would be a good time to bring in our first interview, which we never mentioned in the intros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, that's a good bonus surprise then. So uh, who was the first interview with, Sam? Uh, well, I caught up with Jim Corbett, who's uh, one of the Flash Player engineers, and he's actually a really nice guy. I believe that he worked on Director initially, uh, but he's certainly been a, a, an engineer on the Flash Player for, well, since Flash Player 6. He did a lot of the stuff with the display list. The thing I like about Jim is him and also Tinnick and probably a couple of the other senior Flash Player engineers is that they'll sometimes implement things off their own back. You know, of course, with any sort of um, product like that, they're going to have uh, have to come up with compromises with from the business side and the security side. So sometimes the priorities are there. The people that tell them what to do are different from their priorities. And I know sometimes they sneak features in. And I think things like Pixel Bender and the audio API were things that they kind of got in under the radar, so to speak. So that's why I always like this talking to Jim. So here's what he had to say about uh, the molehill stuff. No, the, the extreme challenge wasn't just doing an OpenGL kind of implementation because that's, that's difficult in and of itself, but that's a very solvable problem and people have done it for a long time, right? The hard part was how to get the GPU to make Flash screaming fast. And the biggest problem is on the display list, if you have a bunch of items in front, then you try to have a GPU accelerated surface, then you try to have a bunch of stuff behind, it slows down the GPU like crazy because you have to read back everything from the GPU to then composite everything. So that, solving that problem was pretty hard. And the answer was putting it in the back. We actually have the, the GPU surface, and this is for stage video, which is GPU decoded video, and for molehill are in planes that lie behind the entire display list. So that means the GPU can just do what it wants, and we do, if you have items on the display list, then it'll composite them on top of that. So everything that's hardware accelerated is in the background? Yeah. I mean, you can use GPU in a simple fashion with the display list as well, but that's not very accelerated. It's only our software renderer, meaning all the rendering happens in code, not on a chip. For the display list, once it's all been composited and rendered, then it is drawn to the screen by the GPU, but that doesn't provide a gigantic boost in speed. Sure. So I think a lot of people obviously equate Molehill with 3D. It basically exposes a really low-level API that's the OpenGL, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you have to do 3D. You can do 2D, you can do UI, you can do anything you want. In fact, you know, it's an intriguing possibility. Could this replace the display list in, in a new kind of Flash player? Right now, that's really hard because the mouse tracking and things don't work that well on GPU surfaces, um, and so many people know the display list, so don't worry. It's not, it's not in danger. But, but the idea is you don't have to just do 3D. You can do anything that OpenGL can do. I mean, that, that's something that I'm particularly excited about because I love Flash as a vector renderer. You know, and I, and I, I see this now with all the... There's lots of game designers who, who love pixel graphics and are just literally using a bitmap data and like uh-huh. what they call blitting to it. Yep. But I sort of, you know, I think that that kind of um, misses how good Flash is at rendering vectors now. They, they, because, of course, it is probably if you've got 10,000 zombies, it's going to be faster to blit it. But actually, for 95% of games that I've done, it's always been fine to use vectors. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is just sort of a hip thing, right? The idea of doing 3D, because 3D is always one of those things I'm a little afraid of, because doing 3D, not in Flash Player, but you as the action script developer or whatnot, it's hard. All the math, all the physics, all the collisions, it's really hard. So people see the demos and they go, oh, 3D, oh man, that's so cool. So you're right. Most people are still going to, or a big chunk of people are still going to do the kind of traditional animations that have been done in Flash for a long time. This actually just opens it up to a whole new level of, you know, the really high-end game programming, which Flash has never been able to do because it can't handle the big numbers of polygons. Um, you know, the Paper Vision 3D and Away 3D, before this molehill thing, you know, they, get, they sort of approximated 3D, but you couldn't really do high-end stuff. So... I'm just trying to get in my head the process of rendering 3D into Molehill. I mean, you've got you have to manage all the 3D points yourself, right? In ActionScript, that's what Away does, and, and the other engines. We have a couple things in there. One is that this low-level API in the player for Molehill, um, you could write to it yourself as a as a Flash developer, but it's you know it's it's kind of hardcore OpenGL. So yeah. component sets on top or some things like Away 3D, and yeah, you have to. I mean, you can make models and you can import the models. Um, I don't know exactly how that works, but you can. And, and that, then it's a set of vertices, you know, with a with X, Y, Z in space. And a way just helps it make it easier for some somebody familiar with programming, but maybe not the guts of OpenGL to to use Molehill. Sure. So it's based on OpenGL ES, right? So is that that's kind of similar to WebGL? Do you know roughly how it compares to WebGL? No, not really. Yeah. yeah, we picked OpenGL ES2 because that's present on all of the sort of almost all the smartphones that we plan to support, and then up, you know. And so on Mac and Linux, it's OpenGL itself. In Windows, we actually had to implement it as DirectX because that's really fast on Windows, and OpenGL is not. So I had to sort of transfer from that to that. But uh, yeah, I don't know exactly how WebGL compares to Open uh, Molehill, but I would guess that it's similar. Recently, we uh, we heard about Scaleform, which was a, a flash renderer that used um, 3D hardware acceleration. That's something you just mentioned would be interesting to have a, th a, a, a GPU-enabled display list. Yeah. So can, have you got any thoughts about how that might work? Well, already Eli at, at Adobe has made a 2D uh, molehill package, you know, like a Way 3D. This is Eli 2D or something. <laughs> and it's for doing 2D kind of animations like that. It, the, the, like I said before, it's really tricky to do because of the, the mouse position isn't really available to the, the GPU, so you have to have things in the front actually on the display list that handle the messaging and start doing some of that for you. So it's a, it's a tricky process. But for simple stuff that you want to go really fast, that you may have a lot of little objects um, where you don't need the, like the stuff you do, Seb does here, <laughs> is uh, there's a lot of interaction, and that would be very difficult. And it wouldn't benefit that much from running in, in a, on a GPU. But there are, I can imagine, games, even 2D games, that could benefit from it. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff we do, you know, if you think about big and small and things, that is we have um, flash animated characters within a 3D scene, which we can't really do with Molehill, but I was wondering, could we maybe render those characters to a texture, like, on the fly and, and stick that in the Molehill? Yeah. Yes, you could. If you wanted to have a 3D, so it's a 3D background and you have the 2D characters in front, yeah, you could make a, a, a Molehill surface and draw just textures to the, to the card, and that'll be really fast to... To render. So you mentioned that uh, obviously there's you're working on like mobile versions of Molehill. I assume that this is part of the motivation for actually implementing this sort of hardware accelerated graphics. It's multiple. One reason is yes, the 
you want mobile to be faster because those processors are it's like going to computers from 10 years ago. Um, and so GPU will help that a lot, especially um, video decoding on a chip will be so much faster. And it almost doesn't work right now on smartphones because it's so much processing. But for high-end gaming on desktop, that brings that available too. So it actually has sort of two prongs. Mm. I was wondering about the, the kind of flash player on mobile at the moment. Now, I know that it does use GPU for certain operations, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's been really difficult. GPUs are all different. The drivers are different. How they implement certain parts of OpenGL. And, and even when we test on them, one phone may be really fast and another one isn't. So, But this, this drawing in the back, the surfaces in the back and the stage video in the back... I think that will get around a lot of those problems, and we should see significant speed-ups on smartphones. Is it, is it now on the Flash Player, does it only render the bitmaps using the GPU, or does it do any of the vector rendering as well? Well, once we composite, um, this, there's, there's been a lot of flux around how we've done GPU. Now it's, it's getting clear. But in the past, I know we did all the software renderer, perfect fidelity, and then we split that using the GPU, just the last part, drawing it to the screen it is. Sure, sure. So, well, just finally, you know, what is it about the future of the Flash Play that you're particularly excited about? Well, there's excited and there's a little bit of dread because <laughs> you, you can't imagine how difficult it is to support this many platforms. And it's mm. not just Mac, Win, Linux, Android, and now iOS. We have apps for iOS, right? But also, every GPU is almost a platform because they're all different. So the explosion of, of platforms, which, while exciting because now Flash is everywhere, it's also quite difficult to handle. I mean, the, the teams had to grow a lot, and it's a difficult thing to manage that many platforms and trying to keep them all consistent, things like that. But that's the really exciting part. Great. Well, that's excellent. Thank you so much, Jim. You bet. Thank you. Okay, cool. That was uh, very informative. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that, really. Uh, the stuff about the uh, hardware accelerated display list is very interesting to me. Um, because I, I, definitely, I definitely don't want Flash to end up in like an all-code situation, which is kind of, you know, it's a fight that I've been fighting already for like a few years. That they're not making some of this cool stuff. You know, I guess it's getting to the point where if you really want to make the good stuff in Flash, then you have to be a coder, right? Yeah, but it's not just you have to be a coder. It's you have to use all code and no yeah. visual stuff. Like, I mean, this started years ago with people laying their stuff out in code so rather than dropping in the flash IDE, dropping their various parts on the stage and laying them out they would add individual bits via code and set their positions with code that's so stupid it is it is and i mean i really hate that i mean it's like it's like you know you're offending half our audience by the way i get deal with it because well you know it's in some um in some platforms, you have to do that, right? In fact, in most platforms, you have to do that. Well, no, because even something like Visual Studio has got a visual mode where it will let you like move controls around. Sure, but I, I guess making a Visual Studio app, isn't there isn't going to be so much design as there is in a Flash game, for example. Well, I mean, in a Blend app, sure. You know, in what's a, a, in a, what's a well, Blend like a, app? A WPF app? Windows Presentation oh. Foundation or oh, Silverlight, yeah, yeah. like the, yeah. the new generation kind of Yeah, Windows but they've stuff. got all the visual tools, don't they? Like expression and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I'm saying. So they've got them. Yeah. Mac has got Interface Builder, hasn't it? Yeah, which, again, loads of people don't use. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So I guess this problem is basically universal then to all things. But, you know, yeah. in Flash, you can make it work with the IDE so that you've got all your stuff visually there and you can drag it around. 
I mean, if, I you wanna, if, bit... if you want to reposition something or line something up, you can just do it visually. You don't have to go into the code, add on one pixel to the variable. Is it publish it? Is it lined up? Oh, no, it's not. Go and add one more pixel. You know, I, n- I certainly know that the push button engine team don't use the Flash IDE at all. Yeah. And they design it all in Photoshop. Yeah. Which I guess is fine, but it's just like... It's not Flash then, is it? I, I find it slightly strange. Although one thing I have noticed from using X and A is that uh, I actually think that bitmap data and, yeah, well, bitmap data, basically, that, that class in Flash is really, really useful and it's, be- it's got a better API than, you know, other comparative technologies. Really? What's, what's the alternative in X and A? It's sprite batch, but... It's very, uh, it's not straightforward to use, basically. I mean, it's straightforward to do simple things, but it's not as flexible as uh, bitmap data. You can do all the same things that you can do with bitmap data, but they're just a lot more verbose in X and O. Sure. Things like if you want to copy pixels from one bitmap to another and all this kind of stuff, basically, is very, very quick and easy in ActionScript. So there are, you know, things about the language which make Flash a good platform. I mean, the thing is, like, if I'm doing a game and I'm, like, you know, like, rigging a character with, like, arms and legs and stuff, it's really great to be able to just do that visually and line up their different reg points and everything. You don't want to do that all with code. It's, it's this, this sort of concept of programming within a sort of framework or an IDE, isn't it, that I'm very used to. It's a very familiar idea to me going back to director and before, you know, I'm thinking way back, you know, to... Actually, is there anything before that? Well, I'm thinking hyper, like Amos. Hypercard. I'm thinking Amos on the Amiga, which probably right. wasn't much of a layout tool, but it certainly was a sort of... Uh, with all of these things, you have to learn as much about the environment that you're working in as you do about the code. Sure. And I guess with Flash and, in, and Director, and I'm sure there's some other similar stuff, like Unity, for example, it's as much about learning about the objects within that and how to use the editing environment in a way that saves you time, right? Mm. And of course, you can program in unity if you want but and just manually enter every 3d point (laughs) yeah what's good about unity is you know for 3d stuff is the same thing that's good about flash for 2d stuff which is you can just drag and drop stuff onto the stage arrange it how you want it do things visually in that way to set up your assets and then obviously do your code somewhere else yeah but i mean unity takes it a step further because it's got that uh component driven model where you write a component and then you can drag that onto any object and objects have multiple components so it's kind of like a multiple inheritance type model yeah but again that's just like the code right i guess this the the point of this subject is that there's an id that you use to save you time in programming it a visual id yeah well it's not even in programming really it's just to let designers do their design visually rather than having to you know you having to look up measure pixel values in their photoshop document and then type that into your code sure which is bonkers which is where we are really in with molehill again i mean with molehill without unity it's going to be really low level right i mean i know that the away 3d guys are doing a lot of work on getting their engine and and of course all the other engines as well other engines are available um but it's still going to be quite hard to do right i mean these are open source engines getting your models into them can be tricky yeah whereas with unity you know you just literally drag it in you can drag a maya file in, you can drag any 3d program file in and your stuff's there you can just put it in the scene you can move it around a little bit 
Yeah, what was always hard with paper vision was getting your models in. Like yeah. sometimes you'd have a model and it'd be like a collada and it should work and then you'd put it in and it just didn't work and you'd just be like, okay, my model just doesn't show up. It shows up in Blender, it shows up in Max. And there's so many reasons why that, that is as well. Countless, um, yeah. I mean, there's so many. It's, it's a really complex um, file format. Yeah. And paper vision only supported a subset of its things. Plus also the, you know, Tim Knipp is the guy to talk to about this because he built the DA loader and he did an amazing job because it's incredibly complicated. Mm. And uh, there, there's so many, although the spec I think is quite solid, all the different exporters export it in a slightly different way. So that was, you know, but this again is just the same problem that you're going to run into using one of these 3D engines. And so as a programmer who's fed up of arsing around with... <laughs> with um, ActionScript to load in 3D models. I'm really pleased about the Unity announcement. I'll be very curious to see how well they get that working. Because then, in theory, you can make a Unity game and it will run on the iPhone really, really fast, right, with their iPhone um, exporter. It will run on Android. It will run as a Mac app. It will run in the Unity web player if someone's got that. I mean, to me, Unity is like probably the best platform for making games in at the moment if you want cross-platform support. Mm. Yeah, I don't like it for 2D games. We talked about this before, though, in episode yeah. one, I think. But yeah, but you know, Flash should be Flash should be the 2D equivalent of that, right? In fact, I was having a chat with some of the Adobe guys, and they, we were talking about the possibility of making like a, a game IDE. And I mean, I guess I said to them that it's probably a little bit late, and it would have been good to start building something like that a few years ago. Mm. But but wouldn't it be good? A really nice slick 2D game. How, I mean, how how would engine. it be different to the Flash IDE? Well, with Flash, you don't get any of the stuff built in. You don't really have collision detection. You don't have any simple physics. You don't have, you know, you've got nothing. You've got the component, you've got the bare bones to do stuff. And if you want to make a really good game, you've got to be a pretty good coder. Yeah. See, the benefits of that are that there are, you've got the choice of different, like, physics engines, right? Yeah. So, like, how's that using... a benefit? <laughs> Huh? <laughs> I just well, want because, one that's built in that works really well. Yeah, it'd have to do everything you'd ever want to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, for example, some of the, some of the early physics platform, um, physics engines, like the early versions of BoxCD and various other ones, didn't have certain types of joints or didn't have like one-way platforms and stuff like that. So it's like, if you're trying to make a game and you need that feature and it isn't there, you're stuffed really, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah? No? I, mean, I mean, I guess the, the thing about Unity is if you wanted to write your own simple physics engine, you can do that, right? So... It's got a built-in, very advanced, complex physics system, um, which, again, is quite easy to switch on and off on particular objects. Um, but so, so, you know, how about a 2D version of that with a very clever, complex, well-rounded physics engine? And if that was too much for you or it didn't do something you could do, then it's certainly for me, the 2D physics in all of my games are just a few lines of code. It's not... I don't need box 2D for most things. But what I do need is, like, decent collision detection and... yeah you know, a sprite managers, something that knows... Like, for example, there's just, you know, Grant Skinner's doing Easel JS, and he just was telling me about it. It looks really good. We should probably talk about that more in a yeah. later podcast. Well, we, we could talk about that. Um, well, I don't think we've, we've got time to do it now. It's a bit off topic, but we should definitely look at it um, at some point in the future. But he was saying that he basically recreated a movie clip um, type of object, but it had extra features in, like it could could play this current section out and then play the next bit how often do you have that like in a, a run cycle you know when, when there's a, a bit of animation of him starting up and then you want it to go to the bit where he's running or when you're jumping and then you want it to go to running later you know the ability to cue these things up so simple things that are really commonly required in games but aren't really built in in mm. flash 
I mean, I guess... That stuff is, is the stuff that's quite easy to write yourself, though, right? If you're a programmer. Yeah. Who else is making games, though? Well, I, mean, I guess what I miss <laughs> is the fact that Flash ID at the beginning was a way to just start yourself off with doing simple code. You know, so you could make a nice picture and then you could experiment with moving yeah. it around. And to me, that's what Unity is. And I'm seeing people who aren't coders making games. I think that's really sure. exciting. Of course, they're doing some terrible things. But of course, we all do terrible things when we're learning. Sure. But I mean, using that method of like drag and drop stuff, you'll never mm. really make a game. You'll never finish a game. No. You can't. What, what you'll do is you'll make a scene and you'll drag on like the first person controller and you'll walk around it, right? Well, that's cool. That's cool. It's not making a game. It's not, it doesn't actually get you any closer to making a game either because you can't do all the other things that you need to have a game, right? But to get you started, it's, it's more, it makes it more approachable, which is good, yeah. And, and I guess for 3D, there's a huge number of things that are incredibly difficult and Unity yeah. does all of those and then leaves you to take care of the things that are actually easy to take care of, like, you know, increasing the the score when you collide with a, a jewel yeah or absolutely. like decreasing your number of lights i mean this stuff is easy to program right? yeah. it's hard 3d physics and rendering that's that's hard yeah a lot that's why a lot of people kind of like uh things like flixel when they're getting started out with games like if they've never built any flash games before a lot of people are starting with flixel because it'll do things like you just register to a collision between two objects you say like I'm, you know when this collides with any enemy do and then you do whatever right yeah so you never have to loop through the enemies yourself and check them for collisions it's like you just kind of register callbacks sure and it's that kind of thing that's yeah useful, but that's, right? that's the kind of thing you can just write yourself though yeah but or use an open you, source one i guess the point i'm making is that a game design engine or ide should do all the really hard things for you and leave you to do the easy stuff that is specific to your game. And it may not be the sort of idea that you can make any single game that you can ever possibly imagine, but like Unity, it should be a system that can cover like 95% of the games that you want to make. Don't you kind of think, though, that all Unity games seem quite similar? Like, I, you know, I really think that Unity games have a kind of defaultness about them where you can tell they're Unity games. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. But then I sort of also think that that's partly to do with, you know, maybe the quality of the modelling, you know, or I guess it's kind of like how it was very easy to get Director 3D to look rubbish and really hard to get it to look good. <laughs> right, yeah. And there are, you know, like um, Ben Pitts, who's Robot Duck, he's, he used to, he's one of the very few people I knew that could do amazing Director 3D games. And now he's moved into Unity 3D as experimenting with shaders and he's got some games that actually look really unique. There's like one where there's a little man like running around a 3D sort of sphere and it's just really beautifully rendered up. I'll stick a link to it. Yeah. yeah, I've been a huge fan of that guy's stuff for like years and years right back to the director stuff i think he's based near you i, I think cornwall. he lives in, no i think he lives in london robot duck yep he, he works no he works at one of the big agencies in london yeah he works at sky creative and right. he lives in cornwall i did not know that well there you go i should hook you guys up yeah yeah he did a demo where which was like ice did you see that yeah it was very good it's like you've got a bulldozer and you're smashing through ice cubes or something and then i saw carlos Ulloa at fitc showing off his new unity work mm. i mean he's so good at making that 3d stuff look good I mean, yeah. really good that is what he does basically isn't it he, he makes yeah. 3d things 
look good, polishes them to the level of, yeah. And, and it's such fine craftsmanship. He'll spend weeks on it, you know, mm. just forgetting exactly the right details and the shininess and the glow. I mean, it's truly astonishing work. But of course, yeah. for him, Unity is brilliant because he used to spend weeks and weeks and weeks just getting it to render and then another few weeks getting it to be the right shininess. And now he just has to do the second half of that work. Yeah. And it's also got about 10 times as many polygons as... Of course. And he's even just put some of his stuff in WebGL and it looks really good. I was hoping to talk a bit more about WebGL, but we're kind of running out of time. Mm. Maybe we could talk about it a bit. I, I mean, I don't, I don't have that many things to say about it. So from my point of view, we can cover it quite quickly. <laughs> I, I personally don't see a, uh, the too bright a future for it. The main reason being, uh, I don't think Internet Explorer will ever um, support it. I had a, a long chat um, with uh, Mr. Deeb on IM about this because i was like you know it, what, what are you doing about ie and he was just like i don't support it <laughs> well that's really good for you because you're working for google mostly but most people can't afford to just not support ie um and he made some interesting points you know everyone's got their own point of view and i think everything's quite valid but he's he sort of reminded me that ie is shrinking in market share i think that's quite interesting of course i uh, you know, so if that does continue to shrink and other browsers are, are becoming the, the dominant players, then it, then obviously Microsoft are going to want to support that stuff. And you're already sort of starting to see that happen with Canvas and SVG with IE. I mean, no one ever thought that IE would ever support Canvas and then IE9 had Canvas. It was hardware accelerated. So I think they are a little bit influenced by the other stuff. So I don't know, that kind of made me wonder if they may be um, influenced by the other browsers. Which I think is interesting. I don't know, you know what, what are the options right now if you wanted to release something in WebGL. Well, you you won't reach most of the people that you get. But I guess that's the same with Unity 3D, and people still make games in it. Yeah, but at least there there is a you've got an option there. Whereas if you click it, whatever browser you're on for Unity, you can install. Yeah, that's the true. Plugin, which isn't even an option for WebGL. I guess in Chrome well, Frame you could maybe get it, right? Yeah, yeah, you can install Chrome Frame, or it could just say <laughs> use a different browser, install a different browser. I mean, I think yeah, but we don't want to go back to those days, do we? We don't really want to go back to those days. What about there's some people, and I've been talking about this for ages. You know how often um, new browser features will be implemented in Flash as a fallback, like WebSockets.js, which mm. falls back to a Flash object if the yeah. browser doesn't natively support sockets. And there's lots of other examples of that maybe there'll be a web gl shim or polyfill whatever that you want to call it that falls back to flash molehill and i was talking to ricardo about the practicalities of that he was unsure about whether the shaders would easily convert from uh, javascript into flash apparently they apparently the shaders get compiled into the swift so it's quite difficult to create new shaders from the outside but right i honestly don't quite fully understand it but it might be a little bit more work than we thought rather than just passing the sort of data through into a flash renderer but still i think that that if that could happen then it might actually mean that people start playing with webgl more or what about if unity's targeted a webgl yeah, I saw some of the WebGL guys on Twitter after Molehill was released saying that they were a bit disappointed with the kind of the general features, that it wasn't as advanced as uh, WebGL, and maybe that would have a, an impact on whether they could do shims. I mean, I only half paid attention to those conversations. The sort of things that they were talking about didn't really make much sense to me, and I suspect probably wouldn't make much sense to anyone except a really hardcore coder. I think most of the stuff they were talking about was the shader language, but I think that's, you know, 
certainly that was Ricardo's attitude was that, you know, they were saying that it wasn't. And they used the term rich, which sort of confused me. Mm. So perhaps if any of our listeners know <laughs> what that means, that would be really good. Look, we got listeners, Ian. We have listeners. While we're on the subject of browser stuff, the guy who did Biolab Disaster... He's a, a kind of HTML5 expert and a very talented guy. He's been writing a lot of posts about um, what audio audio support in various browsers. Yeah. And, yeah, this is, seems to be his kind of bugbear at the moment, basically. Well, it's famously very bad, isn't it, the, the current audio capabilities in native browsers? Yeah. Mobile Safari seems to be the worst offender because it just ignores it. Well, I was talking to Remy Sharp about this because he he'd built some very inappropriate like it was some was it christmas and there was something where you could play all different tunes um, right it was like i think it was like a row of women lying down that you clicked on and it made a noise it was really weird for some <laughs> advertising campaign right. i probably shouldn't go into anymore but what he did was he just had one sound object which had all the notes in the sound you know so he called it like an audio sprite sheet right <laughs> so if you imagine like all of the sounds in one file and he just jumped the playhead back and forth ah, to see. the sound that he wanted but that's the kind of workarounds that you have to do for mobile safari at the moment and let's face it it's the kind of workarounds we used to have to do in flash all the time as well yeah it was never as bad as that though are you sure the stupidest thing about audio in flash was the fact that you controlled the volume by linking sounds to movie clips which was <laughs> yeah. just completely random but yeah that was once a, you kind gotcha. of abstracted that away in a little sound player object <laughs> it was always fine yeah which is what remy did with his yeah. audio sprite sheet code thing what about before that when to play a sound dynamic you just literally would have to put a sound on a movie clip and tell it to go to and play one i don't know i was in director in those days yeah me too i didn't switch over from director to flash until flash 5 so yeah i did some graphics and stuff in flash 4 but i never did development in it we probably should put a warning on this podcast contains a lot of flash we should just call it the flash special and then people don't have to download it if they don't want to all right, we'll call it a Flash special. Yes, welcome to the Flash special. We'll cut that in at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so should we go to our second interview? Because we're running out of time yep. fast. Yep. So I managed to collar Tom Barkley, who's Senior Product Manager for Flash Professional. And he's just finished a side project, or a very early alpha of a side project, called Wallaby, that's got a lot of press, including an article in .NET Magazine, which featured me talking about it, even though I didn't really know anything about it. I know a little bit more about it now, thanks to Tom Barkley. So let's hear what he has to say about it. Sure. Actually, yeah, Wallaby has been sort of a side project for me. In, in addition to working uh, with Flash, we have a team uh, in our Cortec group uh, that works on uh, shared technologies across the organization. And uh, Wallaby was, it's a, it's a code name um, for some experimental technology that we first previewed at Max at our developer conference last October. And uh, it's a very simple air application running on Windows and Mac that does basically one thing. It takes a flaw file from Flash Pro and converts it to HTML5. Actually, it converts a subset of the contents in that HTML, in that flaw file. Um, and really, it's targeted initially at a banner ad, simple, simple animation use case, timeline-based animation, um, you know, leveraging the artwork, the vector graphics in Flash Pro and converting that into... Uh, really a combination of HTML, CSS animations, uh, SVG, uh, and some JavaScript. And the, the output of that then is targeted at devices that may not have Flash Player, such as iDevices. Um, so it's kind of a starting point. People can take the output from Wallaby and bring that into the web development tool, say a Dreamweaver, um, use that content within their web page or a portion of it if they just want to grab uh, one of the animations uh, expressed in CSS, they can do that. Um, and then if they want to be able to add interactivity, they can script that in JavaScript or use a framework like jQuery. 
So it's kind of a, it's an initial foray in, in allowing people to continue working in Flash, but to be able to um, essentially convert their, their animations to be able to run on other platforms. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I think it doesn't it convert the vector data into SVG at, at the bottom of that process. Yes. Yeah, it does. Right. It's converting the converting vector data as well as um, you know, partial conversion of like TLF um, using SVG. It's also um, using CSN animations for classic tweens, motion tweens. It's able to convert um, shape tweens as well. Um, so it does a lot of what the Flash drawing model supports uh, converts over. There are some things, um, some some advanced like blend modes and certain types of filters that just don't have an equivalent right now in HTML and CSS. Um, so Wallaby discards those elements. It's also not trying to convert audio and video at this time. Uh, we expect people just use the audio video tags in HTML to be able to add those elements back in. And uh, action script is not being converted apart from stop, basically. Um, but it does a good job with movie clips, with loops, um, graphic symbols, nested movie clips, um, and does a pretty good job of, of translating that over. Is there a way to access those kind of movie clips in JavaScript and tell them to play and stop and stuff? There is. That's where to add that sort of control and interactivity. That's where you would use JavaScript or use a framework like jQuery. All of the instance names that you create in Flash, all of the, the symbol names. Um, that information is all preserved in the converted content, so it's fairly easy to be able to refer to those names when you're using, you know, JavaScript, for example. Have you done any tests on the performance of this in various browsers? Yeah, we have, and it's actually uh, that informed some of the implementation choices we made. Uh, we did some testing, particularly on iPad, iPhone devices, where the JavaScript performance was not great, right? And uh, we tested Canvas out, and we found that. The, can the canvas performance just wasn't good enough. Um, and so we really opted then for CSS for animation as well as SVG, where we're getting much better performance. But we want to get feedback. That's why we're putting it out on labs. We want people to try it out. You know, if they want to see if the content is useful, do they want us to support Canvas? What are the other type of use cases people want us to be able to add with this? And eventually, I mean, I'm interested from a Flash Pro perspective, is this something people think that should be just a feature or maybe an export option or a published setting within Flash Pro? We don't have any plans right now to add this back in, but um, I, could, I could see something like that happening in a future release. So and is it only WebKit browsers at the moment? Correct. We are targeting WebKit browsers. Initially, it's Chrome and, and Safari, Safari on Windows, Mac, and Safari Mobile mm. um, you know, for that targeted use case. Yeah, and, and are you looking at maybe other browsers in the future? We've done some internal testing, and uh, we'd be happy to add additional browser support you know, based on customer demand. But we've done some testing with Opera and Android, and even Firefox, um, even a little bit on IE9. Um, so again, we can, we can add that. It's the nice thing about Labs. It's an incubator for this technology. We can iterate on it um, fairly quickly. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that IE9 has hardware accelerated SVG, right? So it should run like lightning. On it should, <laughs> yeah, it should. Yeah, so I'd like to uh, see some people test that out. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, so I'm interested in the future of this. I guess it's all kind of experimental, but uh, do you have kind of any idea where it might go? We're really going to be letting the customers you know, mm. help us determine where this goes, yeah. um, what they want us to do with it. I mean, could this be like the first step in a, a kind of native browser Flash player? Native browser Flash Player. I mean, like the open source Gordon, yeah. for example. Um, hadn't really considered that, <laughs> but I suppose anything is possible. Um, I could see it either as a feature and you know, a variety of tools. It could become even a, a cloud-based service. Um, it could become part of something like a Scene 7. Uh, so you could imagine it going in a, a variety of different directions, mm -hmm. and, and maybe multiple directions. Yeah. 
Sure. So, well, that, that's probably all I wanted to talk about with Wallaby. I just wanted to talk as you're the product manager for Flash Pro, right? So, um, with the, all the molehill stuff and, and of course, Unity's announcement that they're going to be supporting molehill, I wondered if there was anything you could say about um, some of the 3D capabilities of a new Flash Pro. Uh, nothing that we are announcing at this point in time. So Flash, Flash, Flash Pro is still very focused in, in 2D, um, very popular with a lot of games still. Um, we're looking at how we could leverage Molehill um, to be able to take advantage of the GPU for potentially 2D animation. Um, and there was a framework released today that Eli Greenfield built, uh, M2D, um, that's doing just that. So. Those are some of the things that we're looking into. Um, I don't see full 3D, uh, creating a full 3D environment within Flash Pro in the, in the near future, certainly. Um, but if there are ways to be able to take advantage of the GPU to get, really, you know, get that great performance, reduce the battery you know, utilization, that kind of thing, um, I think makes sense. I'm interested in how you approach that challenge of um, making this very low-level hardware accelerated 3D capability accessible to designers. Have you got any thoughts about that? Well, it is very low-level API, so designers are not going to be coding against that API. They're going to be using frameworks. I mean, there are a number of frameworks already, like Alternativa and Flare 3D and Away 3D, that are, you know, building their their engines out to take advantage of it. Um, so there'll be abstraction layers, and there will be tools potentially. I mean, Unity has already announced that they're working on a plugin that can export um, to Molehill. So we expect that there'll be a variety of um, easier options for designers and developers to be able to take advantage of it. Great. Well, I think that's all I've got to say, but thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure, Seb. Thanks for having me. Okay. Should we come back from the interview then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was my, that was my coming back, Sam. I liked it. <laughs> that was better. Cool. So that was, that was a, uh, uh, yeah, and good stuff. Yeah, I think the Wallaby stuff is really interesting. I mean, what I think on the Wallaby stuff is, it, it seems to me like it's, you know, the other side of the coin from Jangaroo, which kind of ports your action scripts. So if they could combine the two things, I don't know how aware Adobe are of Jangaroo. I'm sure they know it's out there. But if you could combine those two technologies, you would pretty much have, as you mentioned in the interview, I think, a, a kind of Flash player. A, a native, a native browser, browser, flash browser, browser Flash player. Yeah, or a, a way of compiling the Flash player Flash apps into native browser apps. It certainly seemed to, this announcement certainly did seem to generate a lot of press and interest going, wow, now you can put a flash animation. There was a brilliant uh, TechCrunch blog post. I don't know if you read that. Did you read it? You know how TechCrunch just go after flash yeah. in a massive way? It was another one of those, basically, where they were saying, Wallaby can't jump very high or something. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it just misrepresented what it was completely. Really? Uh, what did it say? We basically said, oh, it's a huge flop already. <laughs> This technology that's just been released for free in beta or in kind of a very early preview and might not ever be a product. Yeah, TechCrunch, uh, Adobe Wallaby Can't Jump by Eric Schonfeld, who seems to be the kind of agitator-in-chief against Flash. But they just write these articles because they know that if they write these articles dissing Flash, they get hundreds of comments and loads of hits. So I think that uh, I saw a tweet from uh, one of the Twitter devs, whose name I forget, who said that... That they were totally missing the point, and that um, rubbish flash animation in HTML was still rubbish flash animation. <laughs> he used a different term, but we're trying to keep it 
trying to keep it right. clean. Um, and I think that's a really interesting point. And this is something that maybe all those guys who have been criticising Flash all of these years are actually realising it's that those sort of really dodgy animated stuff in Flash that they really take offence to. But of course, it's been really so easy to blame the player. It's kind of like when the blink tag came out in HTML everyone hated the blink tag if it was the flash player that enabled the blink tag then everyone would have blamed flash but now i think it's more you know crazy animated banners it's like you hate flash when really now i think you're going to see that stuff in non-flash technologies and people are going to be like wow that what an annoying animated banner mm. is that not an interesting point um <laughs> yeah it is i'm yeah it is interesting sorry i'm just a bit tired um, yeah me too I don't. I kind of bored of the whole Flash versus HTML thing, but all right, I'll just cut it out then. That's fine. You don't have to cut it out. It's fine. <laughs> How did um, what the flux go? What the flux went pretty well, I think. Um, some one of thing I wanted to ask you about actually was: Have you kind of update? What? How did you have to update it since kind of the first time you did it? What's changed? Well, so what the flux was my session about um, Flash and, and the future of Flash and HTML5 and Adobe versus Apple and all of that stuff. I first launched at Flash on the Beach last September and I've done it a couple of times since then. So I did update it for AUGXL in November. I did a new survey for the game show. Um, I updated a couple of the other stats, but to be honest, I haven't really been able to update all of the survey responses that much i've more just kind of changed the sort of content a little bit to be a bit more relevant today but i mean i wasn't originally going to do what the flux at all but there were quite a few people who hadn't heard it and wanted to hear it and still thought it was a relevant thing to talk about so that's why i did it Mm. but i didn't really update it all that much to be honest and did people still, because it was kind of, yeah, very popular and kind of well thought of uh, kind of talk when you first gave it a flash on the beach, is that still how people are receiving it? Or? It seems to be, yeah. I mean, it's difficult to, to know, right? I mean, flash on the beach was a really, really packed room and there was a lot of anticipation about it, I guess, because it was my hometown and, and historically my talks have gone very well there. With FITC and AUG, you know, it was a bigger venue. People didn't necessarily know anything about me, so it was kind of half-empty room. So it's more difficult to get that same vibe, but mm. certainly all the feedback's been really good. One of your slides from that is, um, like, you're not an action script developer or something. Yeah, that was one of the new ones that I put in. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because, like, you know, everything is going more kind of cr- cross-platform. And at the same time, I think people, Flash developers, are realising that life's a bit more interesting if they know more technologies than just flash yeah i mean that's something that it was kind of funny because i basically said okay hands up who's an action script programmer you know half the room put their hands up and then that next slide comes on Mm. (laughs) massive letters you are not an action script programmer and of course the point is that any programmer is is going to be versatile and adaptable and although action script may be the first thing that you're learning if you're having a continuing career in programming it certainly won't be the last thing yeah I mean, for me, it, it wasn't anywhere near the first thing. It's just what I've ended up doing. That's nice. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, I do consider myself an action script developer or a Flash developer. And yeah. the reason is that's what works and that's what is, you know, works for me at the moment. And Yeah, no, you're not. You're not huh? an action script developer. Am I not? Oh. No, you're not. That's all I Did have, you know though. <laughs> <laughs> but you but you've said you know it's not the first thing you've done and this uh, you no, know it won't be the last but at the moment yeah. i am it's like if right you now, were if you were in the army and now you're a policeman you're still a policeman right um 
that's not quite the same thing. It's more like, um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of a better analogy, but I'm just going to get into all kinds of trouble if I do. Um, but, you know, you're, I'm, I'm, I don't doubt for one minute that there are still things that you do in your day-to-day programming life now that you learnt in other technologies before Absolutely. that. And, the, you know, so that's kind of the point I'm making. It's you're, you're a really good casual games programmer and wh- where the flash is still con- continues in success in that area or whether it doesn't you're still going to be a really good yeah. casual games programmer that's it. whatever and it is that's why it's really nice to know like what it is you do beyond the technology do you know what i mean like yeah if you if you think of like if i was in a room with other flash developers which i frequently am a lot of them might be like doing flex apps or things and that has really nothing to do with my work but i can be in yeah. a room with other game developers who are using completely different technologies and i've got loads to talk to them about because really it's it's them who i'm doing the same thing as yeah absolutely and that's part of the reason why to me you know with all of these extra things that flash now does it sort of loses a bit of focus on the things that i really want used to love about it and what i want it to still really focus on Mm. yeah i mean i never really got into the whole flex thing yeah i didn't really either to be honest one of the things that adobe did wrong i think is they decided to build this flex builder on eclipse which is kind of saying we can't make a code editor well you know how i feel about eclipse right i mean i i hate it (laughs) i hate it so much and i hate anything built on eclipse i hate flash builder and i hate fdt (laughs) although i have to say recently i had to use some i had to do some java programming for a processing plugin so i downloaded eclipse and used it for java right and it actually seemed okay i mean it certainly was you tried netbeans i have tried netbeans yeah that's pretty cool too um but yeah, no, I totally agree. I think they should have just made their own native code editor. I think Flash Builder is way more over-engineered than it should be just because of the Eclipse layer. And that's that's what's caused the whole schism. If they just made like a development environment themselves that everyone used, I think we'd be a lot more, I don't know. Well, and that's why Flash Develop is so popular, right? But I mean, and Flash Develop, yeah, is awesome. It's too good, yeah. though, really. It just makes everything else look stupid. Sure. I mean, running out of time, there was one thing I wanted to touch on before we close up because it was the, you know, Tom Barkley sort of touched on it and this is getting our flash animations out of flash into other things and why well why would you want to do that well you know of course believe it or not flash was invented to be a vector animation tool a lot of people kind of forget that now sure. right and um but that's what we still use it for at plugin you know we've got some brilliant animators who do some very finely crafted vector animation vector animations vector animated characters and what we're finding now is that we're branching out into other platforms we have to make loads of iphone games for example Sure. Our animated characters in Big and Small, they're really big and there's like 400 frames. Imagine the, in the band game in Big and Small, there's yeah. each character playing each instrument. There's like hundreds and hundreds of frames. They're a good two or 300 pixels high. We can't really make a sprite sheet out of that because no. it would just take up too much memory. We can't play back loads of different movie clips because, well, it's going to be bulky for starters and also use more processor than it needs to. So we're looking at, you know, Wallaby might well be the start of something that can help us there. But also we're looking at other ways to get that animation out of Flash into other systems that we can use. Is that something you've been working on as well? I've done some stuff with kind of passing... Well, I don't like the way, for example, that um, the Flash playhead works. Like, you can only play your animations forward. You can only play them at one frame per frame, if that makes sense. You can only play them at the frame rate of your movie. Um, So I've developed some stuff to kind of pass... And it only works with, like, characters at the moment with a certain... Who are rigged in a certain way. They're like, they need a head called head and legs. They need all the parts of them named. But I kind of pass that information and kind of store it in an array. And then I can kind of recreate it. I can play my animations forward backwards i can play them really really slowly like i can play them at like one frame per minute and things like that but it'll interpolate between the frames so 
okay. it always looks smooth. Um, Interesting. And so, because everyone always thinks of like our sprite sheet, but quite a lot of the time, you've got more of like a bone style animation or like a puppet style animation. Yeah. Where you've got like, say, a position at frame one, you've got the head is at a certain position, certain rotation, and then at frame twenty, it's like heads rotated, arms rotated. So you've kind of built a system that can interpolate between frames to match the sort of parent timeline. Yeah, exactly. Which Flash should do anyway, right? It's like it's got two keyframes. It should just be able to put your thing anywhere between them, right? I don't see. That's true. But one of the things I like about Flash that other things like expression doesn't have is that sort of. It's, it's very. It's got that concept of a frame rate, and you can put a different thing on every frame because yeah. certainly a lot of the work we do is stop frame animation. Yeah, that makes it good for yeah for for like traditional cell animation type stuff. Definitely, you need that as well. We're working on a system that is starting to work pretty well. Which we're hoping to release at some point in the future. But what it does, and this is Alan Owen and Paul Hayes, our senior coders there, have been working on this system that in JSFL parses through an, uh, an animation, gets all those bits of um, clips out of there. Because usually our timeline animations are made out of lots of graphic symbols and a mixture of tweens and then uh, stop frames, you know, stop frame animation yeah. on certain frames for shapes. So what we do is we're drilling down and at the very bottom we convert the shapes there to bitmap and then we travel back up again and we store where all of those various elements are throughout the timeline. Mm. So then, you know, the idea is that we can then play back that in iOS or Unity or even in HTML5, but it just takes all those components and moves them around like a puppet. Oh, right. So, so it's sort of like a cross between a sprite sheet and what it was originally in Flash. Right. So it does kind of do the puppetry type thing, right? Yeah. And it, but it but, just renders whatever vector data is inside the movie clip. Yeah, that's right, into a, a smaller bitmap. Yeah. So that way we can sort of recreate these large scale animations with, few, with less data. Yeah. I mean, these are exactly the kind of technologies yeah, that you need with molehill as well. Absolutely. You know, we need to be able to render our stuff in molehill and Unity as well. You know, we can map these things onto planes. Mm. But, I mean, to me, that's what Flash has always been really, really good at. And I sort of miss that, you know, that it's it's not necessarily... Well, it's a vector animation tool, but it's a vector animation tool that can only make stuff for Flash. Whereas I need a vector animation tool that can make stuff in other things. Do you know the game Castle Crashes on the Xbox? No. Well, basically, it's made by the guys uh, from the Behemoth who run Newgrounds. Oh, yeah. And basically, they, that game uses Flash for all its assets, and they've got some kind of internal Flash renderer. Interesting. So they managed to get just, you know, hundreds of hundreds of assets into their download because they're actually bringing it in in a Flash format rather than rendering it out before. That's very interesting. So do you think that's rendered in real time, or do you think they sort um, of recreate sprite think, sheets on the yeah, fly? I, I don't think sprite sheets, but something, I think, like, they render it into the kinds of things you're talking about, but they do that yeah. at runtime rather than... Rather than up front. Rather than, yeah, ahead of time, yeah. Well, it's certainly something that I'm going to be working on a lot more in the coming months. But I think mm. we should start wrapping up because I've actually I've run yeah. out of time. No, that's fine. <laughs> I've, I've run out of things to say anyway. So. Oh, OK. But we can talk about what you're doing at the moment. Anything good? Uh, What's coming up? I'm doing, yeah, I've got some teaching next week at Truro College and then the week after at PCAD in Plymouth. But if you don't go to either of those colleges, you won't get to <laughs> hear my pearls of wisdom. That's um, cool. Extended play next month, first Monday of the month. The last one was good. That's me, really. I've got uh, got a new game coming out sometime soon. Is it a secret? Uh, no, it's about. It's called Owl Spin. It's about a spinning owl, <laughs> an owl that spins around. Um, I'm just kind of working on the game, kind of the finishing up the level design, and I've got to put audio in it and stuff, um, and then see if that gets a sponsor or whether I publish it myself. I don't know yet, but it'll be out sometime in the next couple of weeks. Sounds good. I look forward to seeing that. Cool. 
I've got a crazy schedule. I'm flying, like I mentioned, I'm flying to Austin tomorrow for South by Southwest, my first ever South by Southwest. I'm doing two and a half hour creative JavaScript workshop for 500 people on Sunday. So I guess if we release this on Monday, that will have been yesterday. And then I'm going to Manchester straight after. I'm doing some training as part of Technique Digital Retreat on Friday and Saturday, which is always brilliant and some really top people there teaching. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks, Luz. And leave some comments. Yeah, and right, yes, leave some comments on iTunes. Rate at five stars, not four, please. Thank you. Let us know how to get the last star. Thanks very much, everyone. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.